Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 184 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we went on the record with our 2017 tech resolutions. I've already taken some big steps on mine, and I'm wondering how Tom is doing with his. In this episode, we are going to revisit a topic we've covered before, but we've been hearing so much about it that we wanted to take a fresh look. It's a technology that people are really talking about. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? I see where you were going there. Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking about developments in what people are starting to call voice tech. In our second segment, we're going to discuss the legal hackers movement and the rise of localized legal tech organizations. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, voice tech or uh, voice-enabled technology is is certainly nothing new. I think lawyers have been using drag and dictate for years to create documents. Siri, uh, believe it or not, is almost six years old at this point, and the Amazon Echo has actually been a thing for more than two years. Uh, I think it came out in 2014 sometime, but as with most technologies, catching up to a phenomenon can take some time, I think especially for lawyers, and uh, I think as we've seen recently in the news and in the Christmas season, voice tech is officially a hot technology. Technology. Dennis, are you going to claim that Alexa suggested this topic to you? You know, there is a temptation sometimes when I'm trying to come up with uh, topics for the podcast just to to ask Alexa. And I know that uh, one of our concerns as we record this is whether by saying the, the code names and our code phrases were getting accidentally set off devices either for ourselves or for listeners. So if we do, we apologize. But <laughs> I think that I, I was listening to a podcast where they talked about uh, this phenomenon of the personal assistance, voice commands, uh, voice rec- and speech recognition and under the, the topic of, of voice tech and, uh, and talked about some of the voice tech innovations or are new things that were unveiled at the Consumer Electronics Show uh, this year. So that got me interested in it because I, I like the I just like the phrase voice tech and I, I thought we should go back and look at it because it, it does seem like there's a lot going on. And and I guess that one of the key things, Tom, and I, and you, you you sort of alluded to this is that during the holiday season, Amazon sold out of the Echoes and the smaller version of that that we'll talk about called the dot. It did. It had a very good season, although Amazon's never going to tell you how many they actually sell of anything. Um, I just went by today to Amazon's website to see uh, if I could purchase an Echo, and it said uh, available the 26th of January. So as we're recording here on uh, January 19th, uh, it's about a week delay. So uh, they're, I guess, rushing to get things back in stock now. But I think there's no question that at this point, it's Amazon's most popular product at the moment. And really, who could blame them or who could blame anybody for being uh, finding that it's popular? Because it really is, and I think it's 
it's interesting how it has exploded because it was something that kind of was slow to catch on. And then all of a sudden, everybody seems to either want one or be talking about it. And Tom, I, I'll defer to you as the expert on this during the podcast. And then the Google Home also came out recently, or fairly recently, and it has gotten a lot of lot of mention. And people are comparing and contrasting the the two devices. So we'll we'll dig into that. And and then the other thing at the Consumer Electronics Show that that really made me start to think was they're talking about the Alexa or the the Amazon. Uh, voice system and uh, personal assistant system, I guess, being embedded into cars and other devices. So I sort of outside of the Echo itself. And so you sort of say, well, this, this voice technology, if it's, it's the ability to be embedded into other systems, you know, whether it's the Amazon, the Google or, or Siri, um, that starts to become really interesting because I think that for me, and and we'll probably talk about this a little bit, it was uh, using voice in the car that kind of got me thinking about some of the possibilities of, of voice as it's gotten so much better. Well, that's right. And I think that what's nice about the fact that you're able to embed this voice technology into things means that is, means that the devices don't have to worry about it themselves. They don't have to develop their own ecosystem for it. They can just implement, whether it's Amazon or whoever's um, ability to use the voice. I think that at CES, at the Consumer Electronics Show this year, I think really the Echo pretty much established itself as the front runner. I think it's hard to say that that anything else, and we're going to talk about uh, Google Home in just a minute, but but I, you know, frankly, just looking at the list of the things that, the products that announced that they had capabilities for the Echo. Uh, there was a, a smart InstaView refrigerator where you can order things from a, this big touch screen, a ton of smart home accessories. And we'll talk in a little bit later that one of the, the main purposes and, and benefits of having a tool like an Echo or like Google Home is that you can control your smart home devices, whether it's light switches or lamps or turning on your television or turning on or off or modifying your home security. Whirlpool announced that they're going to have a whole suite of connected appliances, or you can say start the washer or turn the oven off if you forget to do that. I think it's it's interesting to me that Ford has announced a, a partnership with Amazon where they're going to have uh, the Echo capabilities in their car as well. I think we're going to maybe talk a little bit more later about what that functionality looks like. But like I said, Amazon's really shown that it is the leader here, and I think that it's up to everybody else to catch up at this point. And um, I'd say Google is next, and I would argue that the others are very, very far behind. And by that, I mean Siri and Cortana. Yeah, well, so Siri is the Apple voice uh, system, Cortana in Windows. And so you, you'll see those more in connection with the specific devices. Um, and th that's why I think the, the Echo and the, and the standalone devices are, are sort of interesting because you would have thought that where the evolution would come is to say, oh, this is great. I'll use Siri on my phone. I'll use uh, Cortana in connection with Windows. The the voice works on Windows in Windows 10 when you start up is really cool. It's but, really good, uh, yeah. But for some reason, it's a standalone device that uh, has really started to hook people. And it's the one that I tend to use most often. And, you know, I have some ideas around that. I, mean, I sort of think the Echo in these devices are one of the attractions is, is the fact that you can just 
play music, you know, and it's a very nice speaker and it's easy to do that. But it's there's something else that's happening there that that makes it really attractive. And and in a way, I'm not really surprised that they sold out of these because often I find time and I think you have as well that. It kind of goes back to one of those earlier times, like the early days of Palm Pilots or, or some other things like that, where the Echo, when you run into somebody else who has one, they just gush about how much they love their Echo. Well, and what's funny about this, really any of these voice-enabled technologies, is that it's a solution that nobody realized they had a problem with until they realized what it could do for them. I'm still not, for example, I'm still not convinced on the whole smart home business that, that I really need to have the ability to turn my lights on and off to make sure I get the right ambiance to dim the lights in the bedroom or to make the lights a blue color in the in the den. I, I'm not sure that I, I need that. That's not something I'd, I'd rather just go turn the lights on and off. But I would say that you know, two or three years ago, I would feel a lot stronger about it. I would go, really? That's just crazy. Now it's outside the realm of crazy. It's something that's actually doable and something that um, I've thought about. But uh, I think what it is, is that is that it was things that you really didn't even think that you could do. You didn't think you could use your voice to get lots of information or to consume inf- other information and, or, or to listen to music or to listen to audiobooks or, or podcasts or things like that. And I think that you know, we've talked on this podcast before about the notion of podcast, the fact that um, audio consumption and, and being able to listen to things is really catching on more than reading or writing. And, and I will tell you, and we'll talk when we talk about the benefits of using these tools, it's preventing you or keeping you from having to go and get on a computer and type in something. Um, that's really the convenience factor of these devices is that you can do all of this just by opening your mouth. Uh, uh, and it's it's just very simple and and for the most part easy to use. Yeah, so I think that I had a conversation the other day with a friend of mine who I consider my sort of millennial friend who speaks you know for all millennials, although he he doesn't. But we were talking about the Echo, and he was saying he just flat out didn't get it. And I he says, "What do you use it for?" And I said, "Oh, you know, you can play music. Just say tell it to play music." And he pulls out his phone. He says. And he taps it a couple times. He goes, I can do that with my phone. And I said, I really like using the timer thing. And he was like, again, you know, on my phone, he tap taps a couple times. I can do that. And I said, you know, get the weather, uh, these other things. And he's like, phone will do it. And I go, see, this is really interesting because I'm thinking of how I use Alexa. And you pulling out the phone and doing a couple taps just seems like it's you're adding like a bunch of extra steps to it. Um, and so it's it an interesting conversation. It also made me realize, because there's somebody else at the table who had an echo, that people find their own things that they find it really useful for. And I think that's that has become part of the appeal as as well. So I was for me a lot of times I say I just like the fact I can set timers and alarms. That's incredibly useful to me. And yeah, I could have an egg timer or something like that. But it's so easy for me to do that and so helpful. And then I was listening to somebody talk about how one of the things they do is that they have an, an echo that's close enough to them that when they get out of the shower, they can say, Alexa, what time is it? And they said, if they're like traveling or something, that's the biggest thing they miss. Okay, well, 
yeah, you have a watch or you have a clock, but it's just one of those things where you go, you start from that and you go like, oh, here's something I can do with my voice that's really easy. And then you start to say, well, what other kind of simple command type things? Because Alexa gets most of the stuff once you figure out what it can and can't do. And so I, I think that has also become part of the appeal that you could personalize it to you. There are certain things that would be useful and that you're not trying to say it like, oh, I'm trying to dictate a whole brief if you're a lawyer and have it get 100% right. All I need, I'm trying to do is do a command to accomplish something that I want to do that now I can do hands-free or in, in one simple step by using my voice. Well, and I think that's right. I mean, I think that there are very specific use cases for voice technology. And, and I think that how an individual chooses to or wants to or finds it useful to use one of these tools, whether it's an Echo or Google Home or any of these, is going to vary by individual. What's important to me may not be important to you. And so when I talk about why I like it and how I use it, none of this may resonate with people. But I think that it's the, you know, it's it's a matter of going out and finding out everything that it can do that really allows you to give it a chance to see if it's going to work. You know, for me, the primary benefits are being able to accomplish tasks or learning information when I'm busy or I don't have time to do it myself uh, manually, you know, to pull out the phone and just with a few clicks. I do appreciate the irony of the baby boomers talking to the millennials about being more efficient with their time and about saving time and doing stuff. But I think that, you know, for example, I'm in the bathroom, I'm getting ready for my day, and I remember uh, that I need something to add to the shopping list, or I need to add something to the to-do list. It is so simple for me to just talk to, uh, I'm right now using Google Home, and say, add this to my to-do list, or add this to the shopping list. I used to have to go pick up the phone or carry it around with me, pick it up, and manually type it in. Now I'm getting ready. I'm jumping out of the shower. I'm doing something. I can automatically add it. And if it hits me, all I have to do is say it. You know, I think getting information is a huge deal, especially for Google Home. And we'll talk about this in a little bit more. My parents actually use Google constantly to settle bets, to remind themselves of things they have forgotten. It's so much easier for them to just ask Google the question rather than type it in somewhere. And, you know, just getting the weather or a sports score is so much easier, more convenient by voice, especially when you're doing something else. You've got your hands full. Like we mentioned before, listening to music, news, podcasts, audiobooks, I can pull up. You know, the other night I said, let me listen to the BBC World Service. It pulled it up and I was able to start listening to it. It's amazing how many things you can listen to. I can pull up something specifically and say, play such and so by the Rolling Stones. It'll play that song immediately. Again, We've talked about the benefits to people who like smart homes, turn on the outside lights, turn the thermostat up to 72 degrees. I think there's definitely benefits there. And I was just reading today, as a matter of fact, that a, a researcher has designed his own skill for the Echo. He's designed his own app that you can actually download yourself and do it, where it reads the latest articles that are uploaded to a, a scholarly article archive. Um, they get you know hundreds of articles submitted each day, and rather than search through it, he'd rather have the Echo read it to him every day. So he designed his own skill, and so he could listen to it while he was doing other things, rather than uh, have to manually go through and read it themselves. So again, I think we're only at the beginning of the things that you can do with it. Some of it may seem rather trivial, or minor, but I think that's going to change as time goes on. I think we're going to find new and better ways to do it as the technology matures. 
You know, I, I think it's one of those things where sort of two observations I have. I, I think it's one where one of those technologies where the benefits can be a little difficult to describe. You know, so the reaction of, of my friend was, I think, not surprising. It was like, oh, so what? I can do that some other way. And I compare it sometimes to the way that I love paying for things using my Apple Watch. And, you know, I know it's just like a few seconds difference, but to not have to pull out my wallet, not to have to pull out a car, not to put my thumb on a phone to pay, but just to kind of, you know, hit a button twice on my watch and put it up by the, the reader and pay for something is just great for me. And so, so I think that, that sometimes if you say, oh, this is a selling point, that can be difficult for somebody. I know I'm resistant when people are saying, oh, this is totally cool. And I go, yeah, I don't know. I can do that just as easily some other way. So kind of keep that in mind because there may be something that appeals to you or works really great for you. So I sometimes use the example of say you have parents who need to take a number of medications and and if you had this echo that had the the timer in to remind them at a certain time that they need to take medicine that would be great is you know that you could give that to them and that'd be sort of one less worry as you as you uh, think about older parents especially so that's one thing and then I think that it does sort of illustrate the, the platform notion which is what the CES and the embedding Alexa into things was. So I think when you started, there was a you know, limited number of things Alexa could do, but now they add skills and features and all these other things. So you start to really understand it as a platform and it, it just gets better. And so you can do more things on it. It advances. It's sort of a learning platform. So it learns from the behaviors of people. And we'll talk about the concerns some people have about that. But I think that's that platform notion is, is really great. I agree the platform notion is great, but one of the things, and I, I was reading a while back about this, and I tend to agree that one of the things that makes the Echo powerful, and I think what will make Google Home powerful as it begins to, to develop, is, like you say, the addition of what they call the skills. And so a skill basically is like an app that a independent developer can develop to do for uh, for the Amazon Echo. So just like I mentioned that that researcher developed a skill that would read him articles every day, there are skills that, I, I, there are hundreds and hundreds of skills that are available for the Echo, and I'd make the argument that most of them are frivolous and sometimes downright just kind of trashy. But things that if I started, I was trying to show people uh, some of the benefits of using the Echo by looking through some of the skills and I couldn't really find one that was had a wow factor. I mean, we could play Jeopardy. There's a couple of Jeopardy questions, or you could play 20 questions, or you could uh, ask for your horoscope or get a, a mini therapy session from a therapist that's on there. But I've read recently where, I, and I tend to agree with this thought, is that I think that Amazon, um, maybe Google even, need to find a way to monetize the development of skills. When there's a little skin in the game, when we pay like an app price and we pay 99 sense for a skill, it incentivizes the developer to do something really useful. And I, I'd like to see a tier of skills that actually we paid for. I, I would be interested to see where we got with that and whether we could get something more innovative and more interesting and more powerful and useful for the tools. Because right now, a lot of these skills are just um, kind of like, um, like sideshows or kind of like the circus. It's all fun and games, but it's not terribly useful. And then we've been talking about the home. I, sometimes people ask about, well, could these things 
work for you in the workplace. And I will say that when I'm in the office, I miss having the echo nearby. And I would see like a completely different set of uses, but I can definitely see the value of it. And even on things like saying it can check the traffic for you, you know, so you say, what's, how long is my commute going to be? And, and so or you might find that there was a problem on the road and then you could leave earlier or leave later, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I think you would find a, an interesting new set of uses if you had it in the workplace. Um, the other thing I find really interesting ab about the Echo as I'm using it, and I'm amazed by it, is that with both my wife and my daughter, and, and if you go back to the early days of speech recognition, this is utterly amazing that uh, Alexa recognizes what both of them are saying in addition to me. And so I think that's really cool. And I also think that you don't have to, you can be pretty conversational. Like I always build in a pause after I say Alexa, and I think that helps. But you really don't have to modify the way that you're talking to them that much. I think the big modification is you need to understand what it is that they can and do. So our first example of what would be a great topic, you know, Alexa is, is going to say it doesn't understand what you're asking, but for specific fact-based things, it's great. So Tom, I know we're running out of time a little bit, but I wanted to see if you would maybe talk about the, the big brothers listening concern that people have started to have, and then give your, as the expert using both, give your comparison and overview of the Echo versus Google Home for somebody who might be looking into getting started? Well, I think that ever since the Echo came out, a lot of lawyers have, have been nervous about the idea that the Echo is always listening and the notion that uh, it can hear everything. And why would I want to have something that uh, is listening to my client's confidential conversations in the office all the time? Recently, there's been a story in the news about how the Echo uh, is effectively becoming a witness in a murder case because there was an Echo press. Uh, in a house where a person happened to be murdered and they, uh, the police have uh, subpoenaed or have uh, gotten a warrant, I guess, or tried to get uh, the recordings from Amazon to understand uh, maybe if they could hear something that uh, the Echo was listening to. From what I understand about what the Echo and similar tools Google Home are able to do is, is that for the most part, they're listening for their wake word, for the, the word... I'm going to say it. I'm going to set things off this for the for the A Alexa word or for either OK or Hey Google, and um, it's really only listening to that. And my understanding is is that there's kind of a loop for that. It listens to it for a few seconds. It records the sound to listen to it, and then it scrubs that and it starts over again for a couple of seconds. And then and then in terms of actual recordings. What it really records is, is if you if you ask it a question, it'll record your request to it. But not only that, and that's where it came up in the murder case, is it records everything behind the scenes. So the police were interested in what was going on in the background of asking the question or of talking to the Echo. So I think that's intriguing. That's interesting. I'm not that concerned about it recording things when we're not talking to it. I think I can control myself when I do talk to it. So I'm not giving it information I don't want. Of course, all of that history is available within the apps for each of these devices. You can go and see every request or everything you've said to it. So you can go in. I think you have the ability to delete your history. 
you certainly do in Google. I think you do in Amazon with the Echo as well. But I think it's something to be aware of. I think it's something to appreciate and understand. But I, I don't think it's quite the issue um, that some people talk about. I will defer to my friends in the security realm um, who may know this better than me. But I think in general, as long as you behave when you're around it, you just shouldn't have anything to worry about. Now, real quick, um, uh, let me talk kind of about my experiences. Like Dennis said, I have, I've used both. I started with the Echo about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago when it came out. I recently, in the past couple of months, moved over to Google Home. And the reason why is primarily because for what I use it, I tend to think that Google Home is much smarter. So I, I've got them both set up in my office today. I have a little Echo Dot, which is the smaller version. It's just a little small version. It, the, the speaker's not quite as good, but the technology is just the same as in the tall cylinder version of the Echo. And I've been asking it questions. And, you know, I, I'll ask questions about, tell me the status of American Airlines flight, whatever. Google Home handles that pretty well. Echo doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, they both knew when Queen Victoria lived. They looked, they, they were able to tell me about that. But Google really has access to a lot more information. They've got their whole search uh, functionality behind them. They've got everything that, if you're in the Google world, they've got everything you've ever shared with them. So they're able to give you a more personalized experience. I think the Echo has a lot of capabilities, but I tend to think that Google Home has the better chances of being the smarter device moving on, but it has fewer skills. It has fewer um, integrations with other tools where I think Echo is far ahead of it in that regard. Uh, I read an article the other day that said that Google Home's actually better for playing music, where the Echo is better for playing just about everything else. Um, so uh, again, I, I can't really say that one is better than the other. I tend to like the Google one because I live in the Google world and it just makes sense. But I think you really can't go wrong with either of the tools. You know, if you go back many years and do uh, just do a Google search on this, but the notion of ubiquitous computing was the idea that you would have devices or computers in every room and they some might be specialized and some might not be, but you would have them everywhere. That's why I think the Echo Dot is really interesting. And, and Tom's use also points to something where you'd say, you know, the Google Home might be really great for certain types of questions and getting me information. And so in my home office or a certain place, I might have that. The Echo Dot, which is cheaper than the, the full-blown Echo, you know, the thing is, it isn't as great a, a sound system. So you say, might say, well, where I listen to music and I, I care about the sound quality, I might want to have the, the regular Echo. And then I might throw these cheaper dots into other other rooms where I would say, oh, here in the kitchen, I would use the device that, you know, is best on recipes. And and I could use it as a timer and, and do all these sorts of things. And I think it kind of works us toward that world world of ubiquitous computing where these devices are we cheap enough and we don't have to think about it and we'll sort of wherever we are we'll have something that can be helpful to us and obviously the more techy you are the more this will appeal to you but again i go back to something where somebody has health issues or somebody's older or you know or you have kids i guess could be another you could see uses where these devices that uh, you can use by voice just become really interesting and especially where you want to be hands-free and to just get a quick answer 
answer or to have something happen based by talking rather than firing a computer or doing a bunch of taps or typing something out. So I think this is a really cool technology, Tom, and it seems like it's come a long way even in, in the last year. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to more and more things we can do using voice. Yep, I agree. I think just in the past couple of years that the Echo's been out, it's really come a long way. And um, I'm interested to see where it goes over the next year or two. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. You know, we're on a constant quest to keep up with what's happening in legal tech. And recently, we're seeing a, a growing movement of local legal tech events, uh, local groups, local hackathons. And they all seem to be focused on legal innovation and the use of technology to deliver services. And that could be access to justice or it can just be new uh, applications of different types that will make legal services more accessible to everyone. One of the classic examples these days is this uh, this bot based on a little bit of I wouldn't call it AI, but but certainly some uh, a learning type of program or decision tree program that will help people fight parking tickets. And so I think it's led to this local movement and they're happening all over the world. So uh, groups have named like uh, legal hackers, law hackers. Um, and in some cities, they have regular monthly meetings of, of these groups. And We've seen a lot more. I've been to a couple of group meetings of this type, meetup type events when I've been in Chicago, and I've always found they have a lot of great energy. So, Tom, I think this is a really cool trend. Do you think it's a cool trend as well? I, I do think it's a cool trend. Of course, it, I think it's a great idea. Lawyers have never been known as innovators in the technology space. So the fact that this happens at all, I think, is amazing to me uh, to a certain extent. This is mirroring the startup trend that we saw in Silicon Valley with anybody with coding experiences putting together an app. They have the ability, and not that it's happening very often. I don't think I'm not seeing that it's that there's been a lot of traction here, but but they've got the ability to actually get funding and wind up being very successful with it. Uh, but I think the fact that they're just coming up with useful or unique ideas for applying technology towards the practice of law in some way outside of major software manufacturers is really interesting. But I think that for legal hackers to be successful, I'm not an expert on this, but I would think that two things are necessary. There needs to be a great idea, and that doesn't ha they don't have to be technology-based. You've got to identify a need, but then you've got to have somebody with the coding skills to create it, somebody who can, can take that idea and put it into technology. And I think that's the real challenge for the legal space because I'd argue that most lawyers don't even know what I'm talking about when I say coding. They don't really understand what that means. But fortunately, I think a lot of law schools, they're catching on to 
this. They're understanding that this is something that needs to be explored. There are other groups that are understanding this too. And, and, and so more and more younger lawyers, law students, and others, they're really getting into these types of skills that I think are necessary in order to develop some of these interesting tools. Now, you had sent me a link to the DC Legal Hackers Group. I went and looked at, at kind of, they had an award show. They awarded things to some of the interesting tools that they had developed, which I thought were interesting. They were, you know, quick and clean ways to do better legal research or to get information from court clerk records. But here's the problem that I identified, or maybe it's not a problem, but here's the common thread that I see, is that the picture from the meeting of the group, it only showed that there were 12 people in the room. And, and so I think that this is still an area that's growing. It's not something that it has reached any level of critical mass. I think it's still at the grassroots level. Uh, but the good news is, I think law schools continue to pour out students. A lot of them are going to need some kind of job, and whether that's in the legal field or whether that's helping in technology for the legal field, I think it's a very real option. What about you, Dennis? Yeah, I really, I really like this. And, and so what I'm seeing more, and I'm using Twitter to pick up on some of this. So I know like in the U.S., I see things in, in D.C., Seattle, Portland, L.A., Chicago, I know, where you see it's at least quarterly, sometimes monthly meetings, which I think is going to start to pull people together. So we're both inside the legal profession and outside. And that's the sort of thing you need to, to bring those people together. Really cool things I'm seeing in Europe in an, a number of different countries, UK, Netherlands, uh, other places in, in particular. And I think it's I think it's really exciting in a way. And it, it harkens back to me, not to reveal how long I've been doing this stuff, but in St. Louis, back in the, the mid-90s when the internet came along, the local bar association, Bar Association of Metropolitan St. Louis, known as BAMSL to us here in St. Louis, had something that we called the Internet Committee. And it was it, the idea was we were, got people together who were looking to see how the internet was going to affect the profession. Well, it turned out to be just a way that people were really interested in technology, and there were probably a good 20 or so of us who met on a regular basis, shared ideas, and that's how we first learned about speech recognition and Palm Pilots and all this stuff. It became this tech thing, and a number of people went on and uh, started projects or businesses together or, you know, came up with new ways of, of doing things. And so I think I just remember that great energy that happened with that group. And I get the feeling that you kind of see this happening here, but it's also geared toward producing some things that would be a benefit that could turn into businesses and I think pull people together. And, and so it's a way to get, you know, the coders, the lawyers, the people with the ideas, the people with money, the people who can distribute, the people with experience all together. And um, just a fascinating area. And so if you happen to be in a city where something is going on, I, you know, I'd recommend checking it out. And I'd love to get the chance you know, when I travel, you know, to go to one of these meetings and, and see what's going on or to present something. I, I just think it'd be, it looks like a really fun, energetic thing that's happening. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. 
As we are recording this podcast, we are seeing a lot of reviews, glowing reviews, just adoring Apple's new AirPods, their wireless earbuds. And uh, I don't have an iPhone, uh, although the AirPods will work with any phone. Um, I don't have an iPhone, and they're uh, right now two months away from being back in stock again. So I had the opportunity, and I've been trying out some wireless earbuds from a company called Bragi. I think that's how you say it, B-R-A-G-I. Um, they had something called the Bragi Dash, which was not well received, then they simplified it and created something that they just call the headphone. These are two small little black earbuds that go into your ears. They have no wires to connect them, but they connect via Bluetooth to your phone. And I've been using them now for about a week, and I'm amazed at how well they work. I have no wires to connect me. Um, I'm able to listen to music or to podcasts or anything on my telephone. If I pull one of the buds out of my ears, they both stop and the phone pauses. It's a really nice feature. Um, you can uh, also filter in or out sounds of the of the city or where you the environment around you if you want to be able to hear what's going on. You can adjust that if you like. Um, and I think it's, although they're not perfect, I think that we're getting to the point, uh, I think they're a pretty decent competitor to the AirPods. And I think we're getting to the point where, you know, having these little devices like in Star Trek or in your ears or you can do things, it, it, we're, we're getting much, much closer to them with something like this. The Broggy headphones are also, I think, cheaper than the AirPods. They're about $129 and I think definitely worth the cost. So Tom, your parting shot really kind of disappointed me there because I was looking forward to getting myself or giving myself some AirPods it's for okay. my, I'm still gonna for get, my I'm birthday. Still gonna, I'm still going to get AirPods because I want to try them out. So I'm not dissuading. You're, you're the Apple user. You can get it. You can get it. No, no, but I wanted to get it for my birthday in February and it doesn't sound like they're going to be available. Oh, so that, get, they kind of give it a shot. I, I, looked, I looked online and it said shipping March 7th is what it said. So my parting shot is... If you stretch your perspective, it's, it's kind of headphone related. This is one of these cool posts you just see, and it just kind of sets your imagination off, and which is a good thing for a parting shot. And what would be a better place for trying out your new headphones than on a nice train trip? So Lifehacker had this great post, and we'll put the link to it in the show notes, for the 12 most scenic train trips in the world. So there are some in the U.S. and Canada, some are in Asia, some in, in Europe. But just as for taking a little break in during the day and thinking of something that could be really fun uh, with your new cool headphones and on a train ride, this article was really a great little break in the day for me, and, and I recommend it to other people as well. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.